don't look now, but winter is coming. What is that from Game of Thrones? I think it was, right? Well, as we're doing this one here in November, yes, winter is coming, no matter where you are. And hopefully your yearbook is well along in progress. You've got a lot of stories covered, pictures taken, writing done, which we'll touch here in just a moment. Friends, welcome. Thanks for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast. I'm Sky Easy again. I've been a Justin's representative for 25 years now, and I've been a journalist, well, since I was in high school, and that goes back uh, over four decades. Long time. Storytelling, that's why we do this. And hopefully you've been doing a lot of that already during this particular school year. Welcome to the program. Now, on this one, please don't go running for the exits right from the get-go, okay? Because, yes, we're going to talk about writing in this episode. And in my experience, again, of about 25 years doing this, especially if I'm talking to students, as soon as the word writing comes out of my mouth, I see eye rolls, I see grunts, I see people looking down, I see people looking for the exit. Not sure why kids in writing these days, well, not just these days, um, this is going back as, as long as I can remember, writing in the yearbook, it's like, nah, I don't think so. Kids do not understand the importance of writing in the yearbook, and they don't understand that there are multiple different ways to do writing in the yearbook. That's what we're going to talk about in this particular episode, so please keep on listening. A lot of good information here. Recently, we caught up with our friend Sharon Kubicek. Sharon is an outstanding yearbook advisor from Texas. And uh, for Jostens advisors out there, if you've been checking out, I hope so, the Jostens J classes on Yearbook Avenue, the digital classroom, you have seen Sharon. She has done multiple J class videos in there about writing. So I'm excited that we were able to catch up with her recently to talk about that very important subject, how to do it, why to do it, why it's important. Lots of great information, so we hope you stay tuned uh, for some great advice from Sharon on a lot of different things, including just uh, the kind of the state of the school year this year. Uh, We're three months in at this particular point as we're doing this episode in November, and I've already seen the stress. I've already seen the issues in my travels this fall, and uh, so when we started talking with Sharon recently, I thought, Let's see what's going on in Texas. Is it the same down there? And she gives some great advice for any yearbook advisor listening. So stay tuned, and let's begin by beating Sharon. All right, now we don't want to scare anybody away from the beginning, but I'll tell you right now, this particular podcast is especially about writing. And I know some of you, as soon as you hear the W word, you run for the exits. No, no, stop. Stop right now, because we have a terrific guest that's going to tell us how to do this, why it's important, and so on. For Justin's advisors, hopefully you've already met Sharon Kubicek, because you've seen her J-Class videos on Yearbook Avenue. Let's introduce her here. Sharon, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Uh, first off, we we'll always like to start with a little background. Um, tell us something about yourself, where you are, what you teach, your your experience, and so on. Um, I like to tease and tell people that I've been doing yearbooks since God was a boy. Um, This is my 30th year. I'm lucky in that I currently teach at the school I graduated from, so I know it exceptionally well. I have a journalism degree from the University of Texas at Austin. I've 
think I've taught at four schools, uh, been at Round Rock for, I think, 17 years now. So I'm, I'm here for the long haul. I'm home. It's where I'm supposed to be. All right. We've just discovered that God is apparently just 35 years old. Evidently, yeah. I had no idea. God, that means I'm older than God. I've been, okay, enough references it, to God. It's right. one of my old jokes. I have to recycle them. I've been doing it too long. All right. Now, you are from Round Rock, Texas. Should I, I assume somewhere there's a round rock? We are literally named after a round rock. And if we're going to talk about stories, we might as well talk about that one. Um, round rock is named after a round rock. It's a, a giant, flat, round rock in the middle of Chisholm, um, Brushy Creek, pardon me. And it's a marker on the Chisholm Trail. So once upon a time, cattle drives would come up through this area and if the rock was visible, then people, the cattle, the cowboys on the cattle drive, knew that it was safe to cross the river. If the rock was not visible, then obviously it was flooding conditions and it wasn't safe to drive the herds across. And so we were a wide spot in the road, a wide spot in the river, and that's where our name comes from. Wow. I had no idea. Okay. Um, I know, I'm, a, I'm a history guy, so I've heard of the Chisholm Trail. That one I'm familiar with. Um just okay is the rock visible like right now or is it, it is. water yes it's... no 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 what texas has been in a drought so we it's been visible for a long time it's visible most of the time it's only goes underwater and flash flooding so um it's not commonly underwater when i was in high school back when i was a boy um they we used to, our school and the rival school would paint it different colors um westwood who was our rival would paint it orange when we were playing them and then we would you know, paint it maroon in retaliation. And that finally had to stop because after multiple sandblasting, the rock was getting smaller. So we've we've gotten some sense since then. But um, it's kind of just a, a marker of our community. Um, they're actually building a special bridge right now to serve as a lookout so people don't have to stop in the middle of the road. So. Interesting. All right. Now, okay, you painted the rock. Would you have to like swim out to the rock or wade out to the rock? Or Most of the time, the water's low enough that you wait. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'd like to see pictures of that okay but there you can you can google uh, round rock texas and there will be some lovely images with the rock in the foreground and our you know kind of iconic water tower i mean you think it's a very small town but we're a suburb of austin we have a hundred thousand people in the community it's not a small town anymore and there's 3,800 kids in our high school it's just this place that is um still the same and yet very different from where i grew up now, I've been a media person, Sharon, since I was in high school, and not since I'm older than God, so that, that's a very long time. Yes. Um, and I, I don't necessarily believe every media story that I see, but I hear about all these people are moving to Texas. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Uh, there is a sign at the airport, or maybe not be at the airport, that may be not correct. There was a sign in town somewhere that said, you're welcome to visit, but you have to go home. Um, we're full. Um, so yes, there's been a lot of industry come in. We're a high tech area. We've been for a long time. Uh, so people have discovered that, um, we had really reasonable cost of living for a long time. That's changed as of late. Um, of course, but it's the way of the world everywhere. But I'm, just yes. I'm just curious, Sharon, how big is your school? We have just under 3,800 kids. For nine, that's nine through 12? Nine through 12. We're one of six schools in the district. Um, five schools in the district. Pardon me, I just misspoke. There's five schools in the district, and we ha we are the largest at. We hover around 3,800 kids. 
So that's an average of over 900 a class. Yeah. Most of our freshman classes are over uh, right at a thousand. Um, and then kids transfer in and out and you wow. know, go to other places. But yeah, if you come in as a freshman, you're one of a thousand. Now, depending on what well, people are listening, depending on where you live, I'm from central and northern Pennsylvania. I mean, Sharon, that's a gigantic school compared to where I live. Now, is that gigantic or, or is that normal where you are? We are big. We are not by any chance, by any way, stretching the imagination, the biggest in Texas. Uh, we have schools that are 5,000 kids. Uh, we're probably one of the top three in the Austin area. We may be the biggest, but it'd be, it'd be close, toss up. And then there's a lots of lots and lots of small schools as well. So it really just depends on where you are. But we are a big school. It's the first thing anybody says about us is our size, both in our campus and our population. And is it true that football is indeed a high school religion in Texas? It, it is. We have a first playoff game tonight. Um, even though the kids are off at school, there is a playoff game happening. And we'll see what happens. But yeah, it, the, we can always tell the temperature of the school based on how well the football season is going. So yes, football's king. Okay, I'm not a science person, so I can't figure that one out. <laughs> uh, I mix my metaphors. It's all good. But you know, when the football team <laughs> is having a, a great year, everybody's excited, everybody's bought in, kind of drives the spirit of the school. When the football team isn't doing as well, um, things are maybe not as exciting around campus, but we've had a most of our teams, athletic teams are very solid. Almost every team last year, in fact, every team last year went to playoffs. So the kids find somebody else to root for if the football team isn't doing great. And we'll go from there. All right. Um, here's a question I've asked a lot of teachers, especially this fall, folks I work with personally and uh, folks that I've had contact with. And it's just, how's the year been going for you so far? Because I know that we're past the pandemic, I think. I think we're hopefully never go back to that again, but I seem to hear a lot, Scott, I'm really struggling, Scott, I'm really busy, Scott, I'm negative stuff. I mean, either you personally or where you folks live in Texas, how's your school year going right now? I think our school, I, you know, I don't want to, dis to um, diminish what other people are going through, but we're actually having a really good school year. Things are moving, things are rolling. Um, we're fully back up and going with all the traditional activities that we've always done, um, plus some other new things that we've never had before. I'm not saying that it's perfect, and there's certainly kids are struggling. Um, I think as teachers, we're kind of expecting that kids will be just like they were before the pandemic, and they're not, nor are we. So that all has to go into account. Um, and I think kids kids definitely changed over the pandemic. So there's some of the retraining. We lost a lot of momentum in our programs and had to spend the last two years really rebuilding, reteaching. Some of that institutional knowledge has gone um, and that's been a struggle, but we're starting to pick that those things back up. Our traditions and history um, are coming back on online. So for us, it's actually been a really solid, positive year. Now, for anybody that follows education, which is probably just about everybody who listens to this podcast, um, is it possible, Sharon, to make up what was lost? I mean, I keep hearing about the lost year, and I'm thinking, oh, wait, that was three years ago, I think. Is it is it simply just not possible to make up that lost ground right now? I think part of the challenge is 
in the work habits that were developed all the way around. I, I don't want to be negative here, but, you know, um, online learning was significantly easier for kids, I think. Now, they didn't have the hands-on. They didn't have someone looking over their shoulder, but they also didn't have the workload. And so for our kids, I think they're kind of used to, okay, I work for 45 minutes and then I take a break for 45 minutes and go do something else, or I can have the video on. And, you know, there were all those habits that were developed that, that were kind of struggling to break a little bit. And academically, they did miss some, some significant material. There's just, I don't think there's any way to completely replicate an on an in-person education online. So we're all trying to fill in the gaps a little bit. And again, part of the history and tradition and the institutional knowledge, I don't think you can diminish that. And we taught photography without kids having a camera. So it took me two years to really, the kids who were in PhotoJ during the year that we were virtual, took me two years to make up for that and really getting cameras out and almost reteaching the year quickly. So those kinds of challenges we're still kind of facing, but we're we're getting closer to coming out the other side of it. Oh, yeah, I was going to say two tangent questions very quickly. For high, let's say high school seniors this year, um, they went through the whole gamut for their high school career of this insanity, as I like to call it. Um, from what you just said, are they, I hate to use the word broken, but if they're going off to college and they have this deficit, I mean, is that all your opinion? Is that always going to be with them or or at some point they're eventually going to get over that? I, I think it depends on the student. And I, I'm not trying to um, not answer the question, but I think the challenge happens in maybe the kids who thinks who, the kids who struggle a bit. You know, our top students are going to succeed no matter what. Um, I think it's our our average kids or our struggling kids who are still going to make up that deficit for a long time to come. It's not that they it's not that they will never get there, but there are certainly skills that they missed, and I don't. I think it's going to take a lot of time to rebuild. And for the kids who are graduating this year, they haven't had the time to kind of recoup those things. They were in the kind of foundational algebra one, English one you know, those kind of pieces. And I, I also teach an English class, a senior English class. And so I see some of those deficits, especially in the writing. Um, it's it's a little bit worse than it has been over the years preceding the pandemic. So I think it's going to take all of us. Um, and that's what I love about your book is that there's a standard we hold kids to, and it's hard. It's such a hard standard. But if we don't do it, then we never force kids to buckle down and and do what needs to be done and they don't see the value of it. And so I think a product like your book where your work is going to be published, your ideas are going to be out there, you're responsible for this project. I think it does things that an average classroom just can't do. I agree 100%. Um now your opinion, the youngsters coming up, I'm thinking like elementary school students, our future yearbookers. Are they still going to have these deficits or do you think maybe we can quote unquote fix them by the time they get to like middle school and high school? I, I think I'm hopeful that they're fixable. Um, I'm hoping that those deficits will narrow the more time they have, the more exposure they have to a traditional academic setting. I think I hope that those things will lessen. Now, I do see a lot more anxiety. I do see a lot more um social situations um where kids 
we're kind of comfortable at home and, and re-entering society after being at home for so long has been a real struggle. And so that component um, has been really hard. And that's one thing I've seen impact your book is that kids don't necessarily want to be photographed. They don't necessarily want to have their stories told. And it's building that level of trust that we're doing so in an ethical and honorable way to allow kids to tell their stories. Um, so that has also been a component we've seen is that idea of really controlling the content or wanting control the content which and we we have a story we want to tell that's complete not necessarily um the social media version all right now you sort of half answered my next question uh let's switch over to what i call your booking um has your booking changed in the last three years or did we just sort of have a lull and now we're kind of back at it again and it's the same as it was i think what the what i Sorry to anticipate your question, but yeah, I think the idea of I've had multiple kids come and say they're really not comfortable with their photograph being used in the yearbook. It's going to cause them irreparable harm. And so we've had to deal with those struggles. We have kids who just don't want to talk to my students. So that's a challenge, as I said. Um, I think that's the biggest hurdle we're facing. And I don't know that it stems from the pandemic. I think we were seeing some of that before the pandemic, but we're certainly seeing it after the pandemic. And I think, again, it's a matter of building trust and it's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Um, kids are very concerned with the image they're projecting and they don't want to be presented in anything other than what they see as a completely positive life. And we're light and we're definitely not out there to, tell terrible stories about them. But what we've seen is, oh, well, I don't like the way I look in that photo. I'm like, it's a great photo. What are you talking about? Well, that I don't like the way I look. Well, unfortunately, yeah, you know, this is why we want to use the photo. This is the story we're telling. Um, or this is why we need your interview. We want your voice to be heard. I think that's one of our biggest challenges. And getting kids out to events, talking to kids at events, and just kind of getting that work, work ethic and, like you said, like I said earlier, the institutional knowledge to really carry us forward. We'll get back to more with advisor Sharon Kubitschek from Texas as we talk about writing here in just a moment. We're going to start to dive into that very important subject how to do it, why to do it, why it's important, and so on. So we'll hear more from Sharon. Get ready to take notes coming up here in just a little bit. First off, let's just talk about writing. And I think, again, in my experience, when I start to talk to students about writing, oh, that's the look I get or the sound that I get. And I think a lot of kids, when they hear the word writing, they think maybe novel. They think something long and maybe laborious, and maybe English class essays, which, of course, are usually not the most fun things to do. But, of course, when it comes to yearbook writing, there's more than one kind. Very briefly, if we mention headlines is a form of writing, something that most yearbook staffs don't do. So for the football spread, for instance, the headline is football. That's not a headline. That's a title. 
a headline for football might be some quick little thing about the season this year, or they went to the playoffs, or uh, something about a top player, or something like that. Headlines are what draw our people in to hopefully get them to start reading and checking out a particular spread. Of course, photo captions, I think everybody knows that one, but yet in a lot of yearbooks, they're not there. The simple rule of photo captions, who's in this picture, what's going on in this photo? You could literally do that in one sentence. And I tell students, you can't write one sentence? Of course you can. Now, if you can go longer than that, second sentence with more details, maybe put in a quote from the person. Now, with a picture and a caption, we have told someone's story. Infographics, that's really a form of writing. Instead of having kind of boring numbers and statistics and figures on a page, yeah, that's kind of dull. Find a way to turn that into a graphic, but there are definitely words involved there. And suddenly, you've got a very interesting read. So infographics is one. And then feature writing, which is the main topic we want to cover here in this particular Yearbooking Report podcast episode. Yeah, feature writing's a little longer. I've seen some feature writing in yearbook. It's an entire page. In other words, somebody really put an effort in there to tell the story of a person or a group or an event and so on. Now, that's kind of rare. But uh, the idea with feature writing is just longer form writing to help fill in more details to flesh out more of the story about the topic or the team or the class or the club and so on. Feature writing is not hard to do, as we're about to find out. As Sharon starts to talk more about uh, you know, all the details and all the intricacies of doing really good feature writing, and it's not hard. So let's find out as we get back to more with our guest, Sharon Kubicek. All right, let's switch to your book and your book, Kids, and our topic here, writing. Um, you First off, my compliments on your J-Class videos on the Yearbook Avenue website. They're great. Um, I wish everybody would watch them, but there's part of the problem. Um, Sharon, you and I have been at this a long time. I still encounter too many people. Oh, no, we don't want to write in the book. No, 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 no. And I've got a laundry list of excuses. Uh, big, small, all kinds. And not pandemic. I've had these for a long time. Right. Um, so my first question is simply, why? Why is writing important in any yearbook? Not just, well, only certain ones. No, all of them. Why is writing an important element that everybody should have something in there? Well, the first thing is the yearbook is a historical document. And I think as we talked about the pandemic, nothing really, you know, I'd always said yearbook was a historical document. But as we were living through those couple of years, I was like, nobody is ever going to understand what this is like 50 years from now, 80 years from now. No one's going to understand unless we tell the story of our day-to-day -day life. And I think yearbooks were one of the things that will be long-lasting to tell what life was like in that time. And then if you're going to do it for that time, well, then we're telling it for this time. We have a 1952 yearbook in our back closet, um, and our school is older than that, but that's the first yearbook I have. And we drag it out when we talk about writing, and I let kids look at it. And I say, tell me what life was like during that time. And they can honestly go, well, I, they had funny hairdos. I'm like, well, yes, but what else than that? And they're like, we have no idea because they're are incomplete identifications. There's no captions. There's no writing in the book. It's like, well, what are you curious about? 
And then they talk about what they did and how they life and what school life was like. And it's like, okay, that's what we're doing this year is we are telling the story of what life was like this year. Just like it's 80 years, it's eight, no, it's 70 years. I need to do a better job on math. It's 70 years since that 1952 yearbook. Someday it's going to be 70 years from now and kids are going to look back and, and we're responsible for telling that story. My second part of that for a really long-winded question is that those words are what define us from year to year. So in other words, we're going to have volleyball photos in our yearbook every year. But are we going to know that midway through that game, and it's a playoff game, that the lights went off in the gym and that we were losing before the lights went out? And then while the lights were out, the crowd started chanting and what they started chanting. And then when the lights came back on, suddenly the team had gotten it together and we pulled out the win. Are they going to know that in um, two years ago, our homecoming parade, the principal was watching the weather radar because rainstorms were coming in. If lightning struck within 10 miles, we had to shut the whole thing down. And we hadn't had a homecoming parade in two years. And so we were we actually moved up the time of the parade trying to race to get those things in. Now, the homecoming parade pictures are going to look very similar to this year's parade pictures. The pictures look the same. What's different is the story behind the pictures. And without writing, you can't you can't tell the difference. There's nothing that distinguishes this book from the last book. And I think if we don't tell some of those stories in some way, shape, or form, then we're doing our community a disservice. It's interesting, Sharon. In my bag, that when I visit schools, I normally have my bag with me. I have my father's 1943 high school yearbook, which is 80 years old as we're doing our little chat here. And I have it in a big plastic zippered bag so it stays safe. And I pull this little book out. He went to a little rural high school in Pennsylvania. And I show it's all black and white. Mm -hmm. I tell kid, you know, no computers. Are you kidding? Internet. Yep. Are you kidding? No, no, no. Barely Not had typewriters. Yeah, exactly. And I have to describe cut and paste like, okay, this is the real cut and paste. Yeah. Um, and I show, and the kids are, you know, they don't know my dad. They, they don't know the school, but they're gawking at this book. Like, yeah, look at the hairstyles. Look at this. Look at that. Not much writing in the book because I guess back then it was darn difficult. Folks, today it's not difficult at all. So Sharon, my next question, I guess then is if it's so easy, why are kids seemingly deathly afraid of writing? I do not understand. I think it exposes um, a perceived weakness on their part. And I think, I don't know if teachers somewhere along the lines have told them they're bad at it or that they can't do it. And when I work with kids and they interview or they, best case scenario, they were at an event and can observe and like write down all the details you know, write down the quotes. And we talk about really simple ways to start the story or start the caption. And then it's like, oh, well, this is a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it is. And I think one of the biggest hurdles in writing is that they do have to talk to people. And that idea of walking up to someone they don't know, introducing themselves and having a conversation. Um, they are worried, just like we talked about in the struggles of people who want to control their image. They're worried about that as well. Um, I went on Friday with two young men to interview a volleyball player. Um and just went with them to support. And it's their, their new staff members. They came out of my journalism one program last year. They didn't really understand how scoring a volleyball went. So we had that conversation. And I just went with them. 
to basically as a security blanket. And once they got into the conversation and we walked away, they're like, oh, now I get it. Before their story had like mythical dragons and they were slaying things and it sounded read like a, fa a fairy tale. It's like, okay, let's actually tell the real story here. Not we're not we're not writing fiction, folks. So it was just that concept of I've got to go talk to somebody. I, I have to actually interact with somebody. And that's a struggle. And it's a struggle for me as an adult. I I'm a natural introvert, but I'm also curious. And providing curiosity and getting their curiosity aroused is the heart, one of the hardest things. Well, Sharon, there's an obvious follow-up, all right? Just a, a, an idea or two. How do we get kids over that hump to go out and talk to people, get stories, gather information? Well, the first thing I would say is if observation is key. And our stories are better when people observe. Um, you wouldn't think to ask about lights going out in a volleyball game. We got that story because we were there and the photographers reported it and they told us what happened. And so we could, we could get that story and then follow up with questions. So if people are there and, and writing down information, writing down facts, then that's so much easier. Plus then you're having a conversation, you have some background knowledge and you don't feel quite so lost. So if we can get kids to observe first, that's the first thing. And then second um, would be just knowing that the people being interviewed are probably as nervous as the people doing the interviewing. Um, no one is, no one's judging. And we also really work at partnering in my staff. So an ex someone who really likes to go out and talk to people will take a newbie under their wing and they'll go do a joint conversation together. Um, I'm not going to force someone by themselves if they're not comfortable with it. If they need a buddy, I'm going to send them with a buddy. If that's what it takes, go for it. And again, that institutional knowledge and provide me expertise. We also really work at if a kid is terrified of talking to somebody, I'm not going to make them go. I'm going to find someone who likes to do that, and I'm going to partner with them on that spread, and they're going to work together. Um, it's about kind of managing your people as well. And if you can get the information, then someone who is good at writing can come in and help help walk them through it, even if they don't have the experience. But it just takes once, once or twice, maybe three times of modeling. And we find we have a lot more success. And we also have a really big policy, and this is a tangent, is to not rewrite behind people's back. If the story is bad, or if the caption doesn't do what it's supposed to do, then an editor or somebody with experience is going to sit down with that kid and not say, well, this is bad. But then say, okay, let's talk about how we can make this. You have a really strong start. You have a good start. Thanks for getting something down on paper. Now let's work and let's see how much cool and what kind of cool things we can do and work through it. Because if you don't talk to kids face-to-face -face and don't educate, then the same mistakes are going to keep happening. And so we have to get kids involved in that editing process. Now, Sharon, in your one J-Class video on Justin's Yearbook Avenue, you quote Bobby Hawthorne who's also from Texas, uh, nationally known writing expert, the radical right mm -hmm. and some other things. He's awesome. And you quote him in the one video, the one line he's used, which is simply, if you can talk, you can write. Yep. Now, Sharon, I haven't met a teenager yet that can't talk. I, um, I just used that line the other day with my kids and they were all frozen up. And I, I just said, turn to me. And I turned the recorder on on my phone and I said, talk to me about this story. They were stuck on the lead and they started telling me these things. And I stopped the recording and I said, that's your lead. You just told me a story. 
listen to the audio, type it in. We'll tweak it a little bit, but it's done. And it was. They were something about sitting in front of the computer just hung them up. And once we got them away from that, and they were like, oh, that's really cool. We were off and running and it was going from there. Sharon, I wonder maybe if I go talk to kids and I just say writing, like what comes to mind writing, they probably think of novels or big, thick books. And it's like, oh, I can't do that. That's not what we're talking about here. No. No, we're talking about a good, solid lead, something to bring people into the story. We're talking about, if I'm going to use a journalistic term, a nut graph. In other words, why are we writing this story? And then it's a couple of quotes and a couple of paragraphs in between, and you're done. If you have good, solid quotes, the story practically writes itself. You just have to get from one quote to the next. And so it's really just what we're talking about. The hard, the hardest part, the most challenging part is the lead and getting people involved into the story. And if you will start with a person or start with a moment, tell someone's story, then it's so much easier. All right. Let, for any rookie person listening, a kid or an, an advisor, what's a lead? What's the, lead the, is, the definition of a lead? A lead is simply the first paragraph. It's the thing. And, and depending on the style of writing, there are different rules. But for feature writing, it's so open. You can write a description. You can do a narrative, which is telling someone's story. You could do a striking statement, which is just kind of like a surprise short sentence. Depending on what you need it to be done, there's all these kind of um, options available for you. It's just trying to get someone in. It, and it's a simply, it could be as simple as a sentence, maybe two, if it's a longer description lead. Um, but it's a way to draw someone into the story. I mean, are you going to read a story that says um, the volleyball team won the playoff, or you are going to read something like the lights went off and the volleyball th team thought their season was over? You know, and that's not a great lead, but at least it's stronger than the volleyball won, you know? Um, you just have to work around and find something interesting to pull readers into your story. And remember that for your book copy, you're going to have a scoreboard. You're going to have all those factual information. You want to give something that described the feeling of this of the season. And by doing that, you're talking about the people. The people are making what make or who make the yearbook. Um, I think I also quoted Casey Nichols in one of those classes who was an amazing yearbook advisor in California. And he said, we have to cover people in the way they want to be covered, tell their story in this, with the story that they want to tell. And that's what this is all about, is find someone who is passionate about whatever you're talking about, and, and they will talk to you, and it will be interesting, and you'll have a good story to tell. And then your yearbook will be unique, and it'll truly tell the story of your year. All right, now, Sharon, let's talk about the types of yearbook writing, because there isn't one kind. There are different ones. What? Let's run them down. Well, I mean, the, the probably the writing that is most read, to me, are simply captions. Now, whether these are longer storytelling captions that are covering a couple of photos or for a single photo, there's there's what's, it's what's telling what's going on in the picture. And I think if the if you were, if someone out there was saying, we don't have any writing, where do we start? I would say this, start with captions. Tell me what's going on in the photo. There's a really simple formula um, and, it, and it's, you know, fill in the blank almost, and at least it gets some details about the photo. The second is the longer form story. And not every one of our spreads have a longer form story. Most of them do. And in longer form, I might mean five or six paragraphs. We're not talking novel here, just as you said. Um, and then obviously there's headlines as well. 
And then you can go into alternative form of captions, which might be our alternative form of stories, which might be a Q&A, which in all honesty, sometimes that's a great way to tell the story as well. It's getting whatever it takes to tell the story in the appropriate form. That's what I would encourage. We'll get back to our final segment with outstanding advisor Sharon Kubitschek from Texas in just a bit as we talk about writing. Boy, I've heard this forever from kids. Well, nobody reads the writing in the yearbook. Oh, we're going to put that one to rest here in just a couple of minutes. And then toward the end, Sharon has some great, great advice for any yearbook advisor, but especially the newbies, first year, second year, third year advisors. Sharon's been at this again for about 30 years, so stay tuned for some sage advice from a real veteran coming up here in just a little bit. Well, as we go into winter, how's your editing going? Now, certainly you've done some kind of editing at this point. Hopefully, I tell yearbook stabs, you know, here at this juncture, November into December, fall sports, of course, are done. Fall activities are done. The fall pages should be done. A lot of folks kind of drag their feet and drag their feet. Oh, we'll get around to it. And then by the time they do that, they've forgotten a whole lot of stuff. And then pages, of course, not very good quality, not a lot of information on them. The old line, strike while the iron is hot. We've all heard that one. Well, that means get your pages done as soon as those activities are over, when the information is still very fresh in your mind. And of course, part of that is just editing, the editing process. Do you have one with your particular group? A lot of folks don't. They just kind of wing it. All right, here's rule number one for me when it comes to editing. The person who originally did the work, who did the design and the pages and the spread and so on, absolutely should not be the final proofreader of that page or spread. Simply because if they made mistakes on that page, they probably won't pick them up. They didn't pick them up the first time. They probably won't pick it up the second or third time either. So the editing process really needs to be, I think, a group activity. Uh, one very simple idea is to have uh, periodic editing days where on an editing day, everybody's in the room and you put some spreads up on the big screen and you say, okay, as a group now, edit, find the mistakes on this page or spread. And inevitably, when you get fresh eyes looking at that page or spread, you know, somebody's going to say, oh, okay, that's spelled wrong. Or, oh, what about that mistake over here? Or, hey, this isn't lined up properly and so on. And the person who did the original page will probably say, oh, yeah, I, I kind of missed that. When we do group editing with fresh eyes, we're much more likely to pick up those little mistakes that the original person just missed because we all do it. I don't know. It's something with our brain. I have no idea. We make errors. That's our human side. But when fresh eyes look at things, it's like, oh, no, no, that's not right. Or, hey, that kid's name is spelled this way or something like that. Or it could be the way a page is arranged. It just is a little off. Somebody picks up the little off. Fresh eyes make a huge difference. So make sure that an editing process is part of your regular routine. Maybe every couple of weeks, maybe every week, once we get into the real thick of yearbooking, that's a really good idea to make sure we eliminate as many of those mistakes in your book as we possibly can. Work on your editing process. Now, of course, we're talking about writing here in this particular episode. And yes, somewhere in there is probably some errors. So always, of course, be very thorough when you read through your writing. Proofreading is so very important. 
Now, I've heard from kids forever again, oh, nobody wants to read writing in the yearbook. We're about to put that one to shame. And again, some great advice for any advisor listening. Let's get back to more with our friend Sharon Kubicek. All right, now you have one particular J-Class video on feature writing. Um, at least where I live, virtually nobody does this. I mean, if I can get them to write two, three paragraphs, that's that's a success. Feature writing, of course, is longer. First off, describe yearbook feature writing and maybe an example or two of, of recent times how, how it was used at your end. Um, feature writing, to me, is a longer form story but again it doesn't have to be all of a page it's like you said five six seven eight paragraphs however long the story needs to be um recently we've had feature stories on um, a soccer game and a kiddo broke was the goalie i'm sorry i'm trying to think what the story was exactly because it was last year and i've slept since then um the, the goalie broke his leg in goal and the game had to stop and the trainers had to take care of him. And so that was kind of the story of that moment. Um, we have a, a kiddo this year who has moved here from Ukraine and we're, we're writing her story in a feature story because that takes longer to tell. Um, she comes from a place that is experiencing in, incredible difficulties. And so she's here. Um, I haven't read the story yet. They're still in the interview process. and But it, that takes a longer story. We can't tell that in one or two sentences. Um, last year, we, we've had the volleyball story. Um, we've had, I'm trying to think of something else from this fall. There's just any any number of times when you have, oh, this story from this fall, pardon me, I just remembered, you'll learn how to do some significant editing on this. Um, so we had a kiddo who, um, our rivalry game, football again is king in Texas, and we were supposed to win. We always win, and we weren't winning. And it came down to special teams play. And what happened is we finally got down to the last seconds. The kicker kicks the field goal. We go ahead. All is good. And then we have to kick off the ball to our opposing team. Well, they get it, and they start running back down the field and come darn close. It's the last seconds. This is the only play left. And it's the kid who just scored the winning field goal who tackles the other player to keep him from scoring. That's the story of that game. And so that's the story we're telling is of this kid who was the make-or-break moment um, about in this moment. It's not, you know, it's not a play-by-play. -play. It's what it felt like to be in that place, in that time, to score, not only score a game-winning field goal, but then turn around and save the game by tackling the opposing player. I'm a football fan. That's a great story. Oh, wow. It's a great like, story. Yeah, that's a great story. I'd like to read that one. Now, Sharon, I've heard this forever again from kids, usually. Oh, people don't want to read that stuff. Oh, that's too long. They're never going to read all that stuff in the book. How do you respond to that? You know, I think there's a balance that has to be had, to be gained. And I, as much as I love words, and I do love them, um, I think there's a value for balance between photos and writing. I don't think that your whole page necessarily should, although we've had them, and they've some of my favorite spreads of all times have been, especially during the pandemic, um, were just based on words. 
And actually, there was a favorite spread from before the pandemic that was just things that we overheard and it was funny. But people react to photos and, and we honor that. But they can't be what you can't have one without the other. It's not a complete story. So I think you have to balance. And when the story warrants a longer form story, a feature story, then put it there. If it doesn't, then mate, write something shorter or cover the information in a different way. It's about reacting to the material you have and the time you have. If it's just a random club meeting and you have these photos and there's not this big giant moment or big giant story, then don't write a ton about it. It doesn't need to be told that way. But if it is the moment, like that football game, then write it because you just, the crowd does, the, the student body deserves that. Will everybody read it? No, not everybody will read it, but enough people will read it that they, that it's valuable. And I, and I, this is probably a common thing, but I'm truly a believer that your book have multiple audiences. You have that first audience when it comes in, everybody comes in, they pick it up, they judge your cover, they flip it through, they go to the index, they find how many numbers are behind their name in the index, they celebrate or they mourn. Then they look up their sworn enemy and see how many times they're in the yearbook and either celebrate or mourn. And then, so we're all good for that. And they're looking for photos. Um, and then, you know, they graduate college or it's five or 10 or they're coming up on their 10 year reunion and they drag that yearbook back out and try to refresh their memory. And that's when those stories are becoming more and more valuable because your memory, as you and I know, your memory fades as you get older, mine faster than others, I think. And they need those words to reevaluate, to remember what it was like. Who is that person? What were they doing? What were we doing here? What was the big deal about this event? And those words are what really bring that home. I have a very distinct memory of when I was getting married and my my matron and honor and I went to high school together and we had an argument about something that happened at graduation. And this was back when we had a fall delivery book and neither of us could remember. We actually placed a small bet and I was convinced I was going to win. And I went to my high school yearbook and I pulled it out, discovered that I had just lost $5, that I had lost the bet. But it was that story was in the yearbook and I could I could go back and look at it and remember. And that's when it became valuable. I think we're in agreement 30 or 50 or 80 years from now, people will absolutely read that stuff. They will absolutely mark it down. All of them will. So and that's why I think it's a balance is you want the photos for that immediacy, but you need the words for the long term history book. You don't have a history book that's full, necessarily just full of photos. There's other information that needs to be told, and, and we're responsible for that. Now, I think you had something in your J-Class video, the 100-word idea. What, I love that. What is that? What is that? Um, we stole it, um, and <laughs> if you would probably ask me yesterday who we stole it from, I could tell you. It's the St. Petersburg Times and the name will strike me in a few minutes because, again, my memory is fading. But it was originally a store, a series of 300. Brady Dennis, there it is. I knew it would come to the surface. Brady Dennis wrote a series of 300-word stories, and they're fabulous. If you need some examples of, of tight writing, look him up. They're incredible. Um, and we were having – it was our 100th anniversary book, so and our theme was 100 and counting. So we told a series of 100-word stories. And every kid on staff wrote them. We had a backlog of them, and one of them went on every single sec, every single spread. In, and we're chronological yearbook, so in our chrono chronology section. Um, and they were exactly 100 words. It kind of forced them to be tight, to tell people with interesting stories. And they weren't giant stories. We had a kid who collected stamps. 
Um, we had a kid who um, had to work to save her own money because our drill team is quite expensive to belong to. And her parents thought, if you want to belong to it, you've got to pay part of the fees. And so she had worked all summer to pay the fees to be part of this organization. And so it was those little stories there. And I, I that's one of my favorite books of all times is because of those little stories. It was just little snippets, a hundred words. We can all write a hundred words. And they were fabulous. All right. Now, Sharon, I'm curious. Um, AI, artificial intelligence, which as we're doing this interview in November, it's it, this, this thing's only been out for a year and it's unbelievable. It's turned the world upside down in, in a number of different ways. I've thrown out a challenge to folks that I work with. Come on, there must be ways to use AI for your book. What are they? Now, I've had very little response so far. Um, now we're doing this via zoom, so I'm seeing your face and you, you've got this interesting look on your face. Have you folks either done anything with this or let's look to the future because I don't think AI can be avoided. It's, it's here, it's coming. How could this maybe be used to improve our year booking efforts? What do you think? Well, as a journalist at heart, I mean, I have a journalism degree. I'm suspect about AI. Um, I don't think there's any duplication of observation and interviewing, and AI can't do that. So now whether or not it can help kids improve the quality of their writing, probably, maybe. And I, maybe that's the direction we're going. But then I'm, as as old school as I am, I'm loathe to stop pushing that for them to improve on their own. So. I'm probably not giving the answer anybody wants, but I'm trying to avoid it as much as I can. I want kids to be able to tell the story and I want kids to be able to do it on their own. Now, if they have to use AI to do that, if that's where we are in the world and, and you simply don't have kids who can do it, then, then maybe that's a possibility. But I think for my staff, I'm really going to keep pushing that they learn how to tell the story, that they go out there and interview and observe and, and get the details. I don't think there's any other way around it. And I think I'm probably being an old fuddy-duddy because I'm, like I said, I'm avoiding it and I'm not really even wanting to play with it much except for maybe writing some educational goals that I'm supposed to write on my own, but um, probably not. So. I'll leave that one alone. Uh, yeah, I think you probably should. <laughs> what? Okay, real quick. What about using AI to generate story ideas? Could that be a possibility? It could you be. Can... I mean, it could be. I mean depending on things. But again, how AI isn't going to know your school, they're not going to know their population. And I think we get the best stories by being curious and by listening to the people around us. The story about the girl who just moved here from Ukraine just came across our chat this morning. Um, and a kid, my sports editor was the one who brought the story to the table because his math teacher talked about it. And so he was paying attention in class when someone mentioned something about this situation. And so um, AI can't do that. Now, I think Jostens does an amazing job and I'm not trying, you know, I'm, I think Jostens does an amazing job of, of having story generators and things that are out there and maybe um, AI can supplement that. But I think if you're telling particular stories of the year for your school, they can give you a place to start, but you certainly want to really dive into what's happening around you and keep your ears open to what's happening around you. There's so many cool things that are going on. Just got a push this morning from our um, 
culinary classes, worked with a club on campus to make meals for the homeless population in, in the community. They made like something like 150 meals to be delivered to the homeless community. Um, I think that's the kind of story that's out there that if we're paying attention is there, maybe AI can suggest that, maybe they can't, I don't know. I mean, it's worth a shot, it can't, there's nothing to lose. But I also just wanna encourage people to use their own creativity and, and curiosity. For Justin's advisors listening, Yearbook Avenue, the digital classroom, just check it. Look for the Story Starter series in there, which is not new. It's actually been in there for a number of years. Long time. And there's a lot of stuff in there, um, kind of all step by step. It's not just a question or something. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. So absolutely, folks, make sure to check that out. Sharon, one more question. And... It's a popular question that I like to wrap up with when I get to talk to terrific folks like you. Uh, if we have, and I know we do, we have rookie advisors listening, first year, second year, maybe third year, and so on. And especially after the last three years that we've all had to deal with, uh, you've been doing this terrifically a long time. We keep long hearing time. about teachers that are kind of worn out, teachers that are tired, kind of burned out, and and so on. What is some advice? Teachers in general, but yearbook advisors specifically, what is some advice you can give those folks to say, hey, this is important what you're doing. Stick with it. This is good stuff. Well, I think it's very easy to be. I mean, I as we're doing this today, I took the day off um, and I just because I'm not at school doesn't mean I'm not working. My computer was on this morning and I worked for about an hour and a half on various things, you know, just grading, just being a teacher. Um, and then my kids were talking to me about story ideas and all of that's going on in the background. I think as teachers, we think we have to be perfect all the time and that we have to be able to get it all done. And I think that's a myth. Um, if I was going to go back and tell um, a baby me is that you don't have to do it all at once. Find something that you can want to improve on and do that one thing. If you don't have any captions in your yearbook, maybe that's your goal. You don't have to change everything all at once. Let's improve something. Let's take a baby step and give yourself permission to try things and to fail at it. Give yourself permission to try things that just suddenly occur to you in the shower that morning and you're like, okay, let's give this a shot. Everyone does, you're not going to be prepared all the time. You're not going to get it right all the time. There's no such thing as a perfect yearbook. You, you, it's never finished. You just run out of time. So you just do the best you can. And giving yourself permission to do that is one of the biggest blessings you can do. And then also just communicating to the best of your ability. Um, I think that's one thing that I've probably improved on over the years is making sure that I feel good about what I've communicated. Now, that doesn't stop people yelling at me. People still yell, but I know that I communicated this 15 times. And so if they're yelling, that's on them. That's not on me. So take it easy, improve small things at a time, know you're not going to be perfect, and just do your best to communicate with everyone. Well, Sharon, I really appreciate taking some of your time on an off day, I guess, uh, of sorts today. I appreciate that greatly. This was a great conversation. I can't wait to share this one out because uh, you had some great ideas and tips. Folks, the 100-word idea, a genius all right. Just genius. It's a great idea that anybody elementary yearbooks could do that. All right. Right. Have you ever now you don't do an elementary yearbook writing in an elementary yearbook, Sharon? Yes. Yes or no. 
Yes, absolutely. I, I've judged a couple of K through 12 books over the years, and they are my favorite books. I'm not lying about this. They The stories from those elementary school kiddos are so funny, and they're so sweet, and they have such moments in them, and I love them. They're, they're such a breath of fresh air. Yes, please write something about the event. Write something about the kids. Give them their quotes. They're so sweet and kind. Um, and those are things that they're going to want to remember too. I believe in writing across across all platforms, across all sizes of books, styles of books. Um, it doesn't have to be putting it out for an award. Um, if you want to win an award, if you want to get that involved with that, then writing is a must. I'm not going to minimize that. I've had a, a, a person who shall not be named recently say, Books are not going to be win awards if there's not writing in them, if there's not some feature. It doesn't have to be on every page, doesn't have to be everywhere. But if that's one of your goals, then that has to happen. Um, and even if it's not one of your goals, I still think it's journalistically sound. We don't go into yearbooks to win awards. We go into yearbooks to document our school. And I think both can go hand in hand um, because those awards are trying to get you to a place where you're doing all, you're ticking all the boxes. And so writing is a key part of that. Please write. Karen, once again, thank you so much for the time today. This was great. Really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I, I hope I had something to give and um, I look forward to maybe meeting you in person one day. A big thank you again to our friend Sharon Kubitschek from Texas. And again, if you're a Jostens advisor, absolutely. Yearbook Avenue, the digital classroom. Check out the J-Class video series. Find those videos involving Sharon. They're all about writing. They have great examples and great advice for any yearbook staff, literally from elementary school all the way to college. Writing is so very, very important to fill in those blanks that the pictures will never tell us, and it's not hard to do. So let's get to your writing. It's not too late to start. And thank you again for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast.